Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And I especially want to greet my church family here, as well as our Saints Network family, wherever you may be listening. We're here in the middle of the month of December at the tail end of this current year. Um, Things are happening very quickly. God is moving in wonderful ways. And we're just doing our very best to seek Him, to listen, to discern the intricacies of what He is saying. Uh, I, I believe that the principle of the still small voice of Elijah's story is one that we all need to to recognize you know Amos speaks about how before God does anything he he tells it to his friends those ones prophetically inclined but the issue of being able to discern the intricacies of the word of God is something that has largely become a lost art in the church. You know, you, you, either, you either think that we have the Scripture, we just kind of live our lives and ask God to bless, and anything outside the norm of that accepted behavior is spooky, so we don't want to have anything to do with it. Then you have people who make a career of being quote-unquote prophetic. And they're always making statements that are very concise and, and uh, they, they, they have a prophetic opinion about everything. And there are those who clamor for that kind of directive. And then you have people who are just some of God's odd friends and they are always saying something it's it's almost akin to the old uh, supermarket tabloids where you would come up to check out back in the day and you'd see all these magazines for sale right in front of you and inevitably this time of the year you'd have the, either the National Enquirer or some other rag with a woman named Jean Dixon who was going to give you prophecies for the next year. And then that goes into horoscopes and it goes into reading the stars and it goes into all kinds of things like that and you know it's it's just uh it's it's become such a a wide ranging uh topic whenever you discuss anything to do with either being prophetic or discerning a voice from the spirit of god and Subsequently, then, many Christians either dismiss it outright or they go off on tangents. And I don't think God's pleased by, by any of those things. And I think that there are wonderful principles in the Scripture that if we would just look at them and compare spiritual things with spiritual through the scripture 
we would learn practical functioning applications of how to hear from God, how to walk in partnership with him. Because, see, you cannot separate hearing from God from partnering with him. You just, you just can't. You know, God, God's not like the magic eight ball where we just shake the, the cue ball around and turn it over and God's going to speak to us. Uh, God doesn't want that kind of relationship with his people. God wants us to be fulfilling our divinely ordained reason for being on this earth, and that is knowing him and partnering with him. And that is the basis for our relationship with God, and that is the basis for hearing from God. And so often you find examples of people, Christians, who really their only their only idea of prayer is praying over a meal or when they remember or calling out to God when they got trouble or giving a uh, you know a grocery list of ongoing needs for themselves and their family that's not the way you build a relationship that that's that's treating God like a genie in a bottle really it it truly is and there's very little relationship there. And to say, God spoke to me is, is almost like in some churches saying that you've contemplated taking the mark of the beast. And, and it shouldn't be that way. For, for God in these days is wanting to make his living word come alive and for us to really know him and to partner with him. And he does want to speak. Prayer is not a one-way street. He wants to speak to us. And, of course, it's going to be in alignment with the Word, but you better know the Word of God. So we uh, at our church and in our network have, over this sequence of five months, beginning last month, have ask God to really develop and, and enlighten us regarding the dimensions of what the Scripture says are the fivefold offices. And last month we talked about the teacher. This month we are coming before the Lord in honor of the great celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, and king, we want that gift of prophetic understanding to be from God, to be more acutely uh, revealed to us from his word and then in practice. Um, recently, we've been talking uh, from the scripture about what it means to really enter into praise, and what halal really means in the scripture, how it is used, how it functions, and then how we can appropriate that. And it's such an important thing. And it is it is a prophetic act to, to praise forward. I'm not going to reteach that 
because it's available for you on archives over the past several weeks in the various programs that are available to you. But I do know that we are are being blessed by the Spirit of the Lord uh, as He gives us wonderful insights into His Word uh, in, in these topics that are that are kind of there, but they're largely misunderstood and subsequently either abused or shunned. And the idea of God speaking to someone is well laid out in Scripture. The principles of it, the rules of it, the uh, the basis of it, the uh, the way God wants to use it is all very clearly there for us if we will just take the time to look. Now, I know that when I was growing up in the church, if you said prophecy, that meant one thing. When is Jesus coming? What's going on in Israel? Who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? And prophetic teaching was mostly about that. Excuse me. And that was born out of post-World War II, the 1948 reestablishing of Israel, and and uh, then it kind of grew from there. But prophecy should be a way of life for us because it really does initially begin in the New Testament as you being someone who is a martyria, a martyr, for what um, for what God has called you to be. In the book of Revelation, it says the spirit of prophecy is the martyria of Jesus. And you find that, that wonderful truth laid out. You, 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 the, the, the key thing in life is to determine what God's path is for you and then you dying to self and dying to other things in order to follow that. So the essence of prophecy begins with that foundation, to do everything you can to honor why God has you on this earth. And I can tell you, it's not just so you can live in God's blessing and um, wait for the rapture. That Those are wonderful parts of being a Christian, but that's not why you're here. Those are benefits. Why you're here is to be an intercessor, to partner with God. And that's the basis of prophetic meaning. Otherwise, <clears throat> I don't know why you would expect to hear anything from God. You know, because relationship is the key to divine communication. And um, so that's that's the base. Then in the Old Testament, you know, the, prim the primary, not the only, but the primary expression of the prophet is what is called the Nabi, which means to bubble up. Now, there are people who 
take that to the extreme and they just say that the prophet is kind of like old faithful, the old faithful geyser, and you just never know when that rumbling's going to start and the spew happens. The New Testament tells us that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, so it can't just mean some uncontrollable every time I feel the spirit, here it is, I can't help myself. You know, it, it can't be that. But it does speak of things that come from deep within and from deep within the heart of God, from deep within your spirit, and it bubbles to the surface and you express that. It's not just functioning in a perceptive or a seer's gifting. That that also is kind of medical malpractice. I mean, we we have all read about doctors and physicians who just do surgeries because they can for financial benefit or for whatever benefit. But you know, you don't just go out and give prophetic words. You know, you 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 have a responsibility for them and you know, the scripture speaks about, you know, if an unlearned person comes into your service, you know, you prophesy into the secret place of their heart, the crypto place. And that wasn't talking about cryptocurrency. It's that hidden thing. And you want to you want to touch the essence of why they're on this earth, what God put in them. And not only do you touch that, but you minister from that. So anything we talk about today regarding how to hear from God has to be based on a relationship with him, a daily relationship with him, where you are committed to being what he's called you to be, and you're actually doing that work, and you are in commune with him. He speaks in that way. And so, <clears throat> this was the privilege of kings in the Old Testament, at least it should have been. And the Ask of Me passages, the Sha'al, spoke about an intimate relationship with God. And from that basis, who they were as anointed kings and what their relationship with God was, determined how they could know him and ask of from him. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the discussion between Isaiah and the king about ask God for a sign. And he said, I'm not going to ask God for sign. And he was really petulant in his discussions with the prophet. And then the prophecy of Emmanuel came. But that was all Sha'al. All of that, you know, Isaiah was trying to get him to enter into that point of partnership and that point of commune with God. And the king was saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. He was more in the world, obviously. He was negotiating treaties and alliances with foreign nations. And that was really a downfall for him. But the asking... The asking is based upon that intimate commune with God. And so here you find an example in 1 Samuel chapter 28 
with King Saul. And um, the prophet Samuel had died. And in 1 Samuel 28, verse 3, it reminds me of the beginning of uh, the Christmas carol uh, by uh, by uh, our our time of the year. We all are aware of that of that of that story, the Dickens, great Dickens classic, and it begins in verse three by saying, "Now Samuel was dead, and uh, all Israel lamented him." And then you come down to verse 5, and when Saul saw an army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart was greatly trembling. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Now, these three things are really essential for us to understand because Old Testament writings are types. A lot of times people look at the Old Testament and they look at it kind of with a, with a slanted eye and they say, how can these things be? They are types. And there are clarifications of those in the New Covenant. And... Um, in order to really understand what's being said, you have to go back to our partnership with God, our relationship with Him, how He speaks, what He does. And if if you if you view it from that standpoint, you can understand what the Urim and the Thummim, the dreams and the prophets mean in this passage. Now, dreams are the way God communicates his purpose. They are given to you for your life. They're given to leaders appointed by God to help to direct the course of what their authority is has been given to to supervise and to cover. So so dreams speak to purpose in your life as an individual because you have a responsibility for your life. And in a church, they're given to the pastor or to the leadership in conjunction with the pastor. Dreams are Joel 2 prophecy. They are supposed to be functioning in the, in the church because Peter quoted that passage in Acts 2 and dreams are throughout the word of God but it's they speak of purpose not all dreams um, speak of purpose some dreams are just expressions and we remember them our mind our, our, our spirit is active in the night but when you have a dream that you know is significant, and from God, as you interpret that wisely, it will speak to you about purpose. So Saul was not receiving any of those. Um, 
And it's sad. It, it really is sad because Saul had that capacity. Think about when he was anointed by Samuel and he went and was with the prophets and so many times he had that capacity to move in extreme manner with the prophets. So he knew how to hear from God. He just was lacking in his um, pursuit of relationship. And so um, Saul inquired. This was a Sha'al expression. But the Lord was not honoring that because Saul wasn't living it. I mean, you can see there, I mean, his his life, he was more interested in the people and their opinions. And, you know, he was he was driven by his jealousies and his insecurities. And this is what guided his life. And and that's a sad thing. It it really is sad. So his relationship with God was was really marginal. And so he he went before God in Sha'al, but he wasn't living it. So he was like a um the, the what the Bible says, the lips that were speaking, but the, the heart was far from God. And so you can't you can't expect to to hear anything from the Lord in that regard. So dreams were obviously not happening. Prophets were not happening. Samuel was the main prophet, and he's dead. There were probably other prophets around, but, you know, in this time frame where the big, the big one just did die, that was not there. And God didn't send any prophets to Samuel, to Saul. Because there, there obviously were other prophets in the land, godly prophets, but none of them were sent. And that brings you to the point of how much a prophetic word from a prophet or from prophetic people should have as an effect on you. These things should be contributory. I mean, if you continually have to have a prophecy to tell you what to do, you're really not using prophecy in the way it's supposed to be used. Prophets should be uh, a the wind to be used by God as a, a divine wind in the sails of our life. And they shouldn't be the, the motor that powers the boat. You know, prophets, even in the, in the New Testament, you know, you have apostolic directives, but they're fueled by the teacher and the prophet. And, you know, you, you can't, you can't, as much as I value prophets and I value prophetic input, they cannot substitute for a relationship with God and they cannot be the main the main um, directive. Even Samuel, when a king was established, I mean, Samuel had basically 
served as a quasi-king for many decades. Um, and then God gave a king, and that's another discussion. But even then, the king was supposed to be in, in authority. And you had real problems when you had weak kings or prophets that rose up and competed with that divine order. So prophets weren't there. And I would just say, you know, we've had to restrict our prophetic presbytery here in the house. And we we are prophetic people. We we love to honor what the scripture tells us we're to do regarding prophecy. <clears throat> we should covet to prophesy. We should speak. Prophets should be in the church. But we've had to restrict how often we give words within the house because some people would almost view them, I take this in the right way, almost like a reader and advisor. And we we thought this is not healthy. We can't do this. We won't do this. You know, you could control people that way, but that's not what God wants. He wants prophets to be directed by him, and he does not want the people to become addicted to prophets. They have to have their relationship with God. They have to be walking in fellowship with God. They have to be walking uh, in their divinely ordained identity. And in that framework, prophets are essential and, and, and uh, they are invaluable. So, but, but here... So even Samuel's influence on Saul had greatly diminished. In fact, God even spoke to Samuel, you know, look, you got to stop mourning about Saul because Saul was not walking with God in the way he should have. But it was the privilege of kings to Sha'al, to have dreams and to have prophetic input. But Saul wasn't getting any of that by divine mandate because he wasn't walking with God. Do you see that? So walk with God in what you're called to be and to do. Spend time with God. Be before the Lord and listen to him. And then that will ignite the timely release of dreams. That will ignite the healthy function of the prophet. And then you've got... Urim here. Well, what does that mean? A lot of people get really spooked about the Urim and the Thummim. What was it? And these kind of disappeared from the history of the people after Nehemiah's day. But they really mean lights and perfections. And these were attached to the breastplate of the priest, which in the Old Testament, it was the breastplate of judgment the New Testament, the breastplate of righteousness. And it that spoke as the spiritual breastplate for us uh, today. That spoke of our identity. It's almost like our spiritual, please give me some leeway here, but it's our spiritual visa, our passport, uh, what we're called to be, how we're called to function in 
the the overall plan of God, how we're to function in righteousness as a partner with God. And that's what that breastplate meant. And the Urim and the Thummim were kind of there as a source of direction at times as God uh, would uh, command. But it spoke of a larger picture through Scripture. And that's really what we want to talk about today. Now, no one really knows how these two things function. I suspect that God used this, these two, from time to time. They weren't amulets. They weren't crystals. I think that the Urim would would speak about vision and direction, and and supposedly it would light up, maybe as a a yes or a no. We don't know the colors that it could have lit up in. That could have been directive too. We don't have any insight about that. What, well, how exactly it, it worked. The Thummim, speaking of perfection, could have just been a confirming. It could have said, okay, um, you've done all you're supposed to do now in battle. You've done all you're supposed to do now in this way or in that way. It's completed. So you had direction of one form or another and a measure of completion on the other. And, you know, God does still give us words in this way. You know, throughout the Old Testament and even into the New, you had the casting of lots. Now, this is a weird deal because you've got all kinds of things where they would cast lots. Jonah on the boat, they cast lots. Which goat should be sent out as the scapegoat? And the other one sacrificed. They cast lots. Um, th- there were a lot of illustrations of this. And then in the New Testament, uh, they the disciples cast lots to determine that Matthias, or as the French would say, Matthias, would be the one who would replace Judas. Now, that seems like mystical thing, like drawing of straws. What is signified by that? Well, to me, it's not something to become overly freaked out about. Because when you you think about two things in the New Testament, number one, we've studied this in the past, that... um, the uh, the breaking of bread in the communion was from the same word in the Septuagint and from the same idea uh, in the Hebrew walk for the dividing of the parcels for the the tribes. And in some ways, that was a measure of hearing from God, but also of casting lots. As you you might imagine, people are always going to be jealous, especially if it comes to money. 
especially if it comes to property. I mean, if you had to choose between having um, your your uh, your heritage uh, as a beachfront property in Hawaii or some piece of land, forgive me if you live there, in, in the middle of the flatlands of Kansas, you might say, oh, well, Moses, you must love them more. You gave them beachfront. Look look at that. Look at those waterfalls there and the, the, the fine beaches and the crystal clear water. I mean, it, it, and where am I? I'm out here in a schooner land, you know. People people get would get weird about that, you know. They they would they would protest. So there had to be some kind of a thing that would say, "This is not up to me." Even though I'm hearing from God, God is saying this. And and even with the disciples, all of those guys. None of them lacked opinion. None of them lacked opinion. And you could imagine the arguments they could have had about, you know, even Paul, later on, Paul and and uh, Barnabas, they argued over Mark. And they split because of that interpersonal argument. So they really submitted themselves to God. I'm not advocating that you live your life this way. But it did speak about letting some things be undeniably before God. So now, let's let's look further at this. What about, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14.29, where it says, let the prophets speak two or three, and let the, the other, which is the explainer, the person who is in charge, let him judge. And there are other passages that speak about judging prophecy. That is diacrino, and that means to lay everything out line by line and to take, remove this, remove that, and to, through the Spirit, grasp, the things out of all of that prophecy that are for you today. Is it not all uh, divinely inspired? Well, it should be if they're really prophets. In in 1 Corinthians 14, when you've got two or three recognized prophets and they're all giving their word, and that you know, if you if you really have a recognized prophet, even though they're all supposed to be uh, humble and dead, gee whiz! And it's, it's this way with anything in the spirit realm or anything within a church. You give somebody power. I'm not just talking about prophets here. I'm talking about anybody. They get their they get their themselves wound up if what they say is not followed. And, you know, you got two or three prophets here saying a word. So why is God saying, you're going to have to judge that word? You're going to have to lay it out and pick exactly what God is saying. It may not be right or wrong. It may be, out of all of these things, 
This is the thing that the Spirit is lighting upon. And there has to be humility. There has to be a a recognizing that this isn't against me. This isn't saying that I was wrong. This isn't disregarding me. And that could be why one of the reasons, now Jesus used this in an, in that would speak more toward a negative perspective, but a prophet being without honor in his own house. Um, you, you have to be dead, which is the essence of prophecy. And so you take the dividing of words, the judging of words, and you take that to the, the judging of lots, you take that to the dividing of the bequests of land ownership and property, and you you recognize that you go you go all the way back to the Urim and Thummim. I mean, let's say let's say just let's just us kids talking here. Let's say that this that the priest is there and. He's got the the breastplate of judgment, and they're going forth, and they're in warfare. And you've got the people on the run that you're fighting against. And as is often the case in David and, and in others, should I go up? Should I pursue? Because everything within him says, yeah, man, I got him on a roll. I got to drive this thing home. We can end this thing right here. We'll never hear from these people again. And they go to the priest. And maybe that directive comes and it lights up the room. And they know, okay, through the way it lit up, we need to pursue or we need to do this or we need to do that. Or the thumum would somehow become activated and it would be a perfection and you'd say, no, you've accomplished everything God wants. Well, you almost have to have that because if you're in a war room and you've got war hawks and generals that are ready to go and they see you've got the potential to go here and somebody says, no, we don't need to go. Well, there's going to be problems. You're never going to hear the end of it. But if God says in an absolutely objective way, no, or go, then they can't argue that. So how does this work for us? If we, if we are judging prophetic words... You don't just take everything that comes down the pike. You'll be confused. I've been in times as pastors where I've gotten one prophetic word that says this and another prophetic word that says something totally different. So what am I going to do? Compare batting average of these people or who I might like or prefer more? You know, or or am I going to say, Father... What are you saying here? I put these two words or three words or more than that side by side. What will your spirit say? And you choose that. 
You divide that. You judge that. And you have to hope that the people that you're leading will respect the fact that God said this. You have to have humility. But that goes back to the Old Testament principle of casting lots, and it goes back to the Old Testament principle of the Urim and the Thummim and why it would have to be there. And so today, our judgment is not with sticks or with marbles or with cool-looking stones. Our judgment is by the Spirit and by humility and walking together, seeking God and trusting one another. But the principles are all there. So like, for instance, with Jonah, they're casting lots there in the midst of that storm. What was, what was, they, they wanted to save their lives. They wanted to hear from God, but somebody's life was at stake. Even with the, the scapegoat thing, one of those little goats was going to be killed. And the other one was going to be sent out as a zeal. They're going to be sent out into the wilderness with supposedly the sins of the people on them. It wasn't just, oh, do I want to go to Chili's today or do I want to go to Chick-fil-A? Which, which is it? Speak, Lord. These, life and death was there. And so, you know, you, you can see this principle. You know, even in the ancient world, they, the diviners did this. In fact, when Saul comes to the Witch of Endor, which reminds me of a Star Wars character that by that name, he says in verse 7, that I may go in and inquire of her, um, and, um, and let's just read it, verses 7 and 8. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek me a woman that has a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, he shouldn't have done this. This is not advocating for seeking California psychics or anything like that. His servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, two men with him. Then he came to the woman by night and said, I pray thee, divine unto me. Divine means to separate. In fact, the meaning of the word divine means that essentially that you have processed out the world, you've processed out self, you've processed out all these other things, and you've arrived at the purity of God, you've divided it all out, and you've found him. That's divine. But there again, you have this principle of separating things. Now again, this was wicked. But the enemy was doing this all around. And the reason God didn't want it was he wanted relationship with his people. He did not want humans seeking after the demonic and applying these principles. That's that's the essence of it. You know, it's it's also very interesting that um, in that ancient day, the 
a number of the false prophets would either cast lots or they would they had something called the seven arrows and each one of them signified i think seven is interesting each one of them symbolized a specific thing and that had specific meaning and so the person would reach in or the prophet would reach in get the get an arrow and whatever it said then you would whatever it signified by color or whatever they'd shoot that arrow uh, almost like declaring the word and that was the way direction came it's kind of interesting you know in the old testament second kings 13 when elisha died joash comes and says oh my lord you know the prophet uh, the the chariot is coming for you what am i going to do should i go up against syria and elisha says a weird thing he said you know take an arrow and shoot it out the window to the east this is kind of weird and then he says okay take this batch of arrows and you smite them on the ground you remember this story and the guy joash three times and elisha gets mad and says you should have done it many times because now you're only going to hit and defeat um, Syria in three battles you're not going to gain full dominion over them what in the world does that mean that is weird to me it's a weird thing it's in the natural if Elisha wanted him to smite he should have said okay you know thus saith the Lord unto you my son Hear, hear ye, hear ye. Uh, you know, you grab this bunch of arrows and you, you, whatever you do with these arrows is going to indicate how much victory you gain or what you don't gain. So just smack those suckers till they're splinters. Isn't that what he should have said if he was really prophesying? But he gives these directives with arrows, which were things that the uh, the diviners in in the in foreign kingdoms used arrows but this guy was supposed to discern for himself what this meant he came specifically to talk about syria he was troubled because elisha was dying and he should have known look what the prophet has said here, I'm going to embrace. I've already shot the arrow out the window, which should have indicated that we are going to war and that God is going to give us victory. He should have known that. When we read it, we think, what the hey, what, is, what does this mean? I hope there wasn't anybody outside that window. That would have been a great Monty Python scene. Shoot an arrow out the window. Sorry. But the guy should have known, okay, this is a prophetic act. I'm sensing this. I know this represents what I've come to the prophet for, and I'm just gonna do th- I'm just not gonna do three whacks. I'm I'm going to I'm going to, to to embrace this wholeheartedly, which is what irritated Elisha. You see that? But it was still up to the king. He wasn't he was honoring the prophet, but it was still up to him. And what he did, what he did, 
dictated how successful he was going to be. You know, we'd like it to be, okay, Elisha said this. It's a done deal. Okay, let's just go out there and it's already guaranteed. So, we're in this place now where God is truly speaking to us and wanting to refine our ability to hear from him. And boy, do we need it in these days. There are so many opinions, polarizing opinions, all around us. And I don't really ever remember a time, and I've been around for 64 years now. I don't remember a time where our nation has been so divided, and even the church, the opinions of people in the church and in Christianity is divided. There are topics you cannot talk about in the midst of the church because, boy, the battle lines draw. I've never seen that. Well, I did see it back when God was calling our church to become an intercessory group on the way to be becoming saints, those that wanted to seek hard after the Lord, I saw battle lines drawn then. It wasn't a church split. It was more like a slow rip. You know, some people would be willing to go this far with the Lord, but then the next step, no, I don't want to. Some people would go further down, and then when God would give greater revelation and greater empowerment to them, then they'd fall away. And it, it was just this continual refining but you know we've got to be in a position where we are doing what God says for us to do and we let that be our common denominator we let that identity and shared purpose be what our what our bond is and we hold on to that with everything we are we function on behalf of what our calling is, and we do it with humility. And because if we're not doing it with humility, why are we doing it? But we're needing to go deeper in these things of the Spirit and learn how to really discern and to hear from God and to gain nuances of expression from the Spirit anchored in the truths of the Scripture that help to guide us. You know, there's some things over the years where I have known this is what we're supposed to do, but we're waiting on God. Boy, did that irritate some people. I remember one guy who used to come here who was great, greatly gifted, and God used him. But, man, if he'd get something in his head... And if I didn't immediately hop to it, he just became like a a little old bitty, and he would his face would get bitter face, and and he talk telling people, well, you know, I feel like we should do this, but pastor doesn't want to do this, and you know, it's just ridiculous. And then over the course of the year, <clears throat> you'd see the true timing of the Lord, and. It would all work out. I remember when we were first determining to start having Saints Network seminars. And I said, okay, 
And I wasn't the only one that was a voice to this, but I was the one that had to choose when we do this and how we do it. That's God's structure. So I said, we're going we're gonna to have this for the church. And again, other voices were speaking about this. Well, this guy, he, he got mad. And he said, why didn't you talk to me about this? Why didn't, why didn't you, you just made this decision and you didn't even ask? And, and at the point, you know, I'm still trying to, because I love this guy. I'm still trying to to work with him because he was beloved and you know you don't you don't want to get into a spit match with people every time you have to do something that's that's a key to pastoral leadership you lead more by example and by the people knowing that you're not some wild hare that if you say this is what we're supposed to do that they trust you enough to know okay I don't really understand that but we're going to do this and God's going to answer and how he's done that over the years is wonderful. But then on the other hand, I'm not just knee-jerking. So this guy said this to me, and I, I looked at him and I said, with all due respect to you, you know we've been together for a long time and God's done wonderful things among us, but how dare you? You're not the leader here. And do you think that I didn't? spend time in prayer and in counsel with others about this? Who made you the notary public of anything the Spirit wants to do here? And he's just looking at me. <clears throat> and I, I and I thought about that. I st obviously still think about it. And I thought, what comes into people's minds? So you can see how in, in, in a more ancient environment, before Jesus came, before the Spirit came and, and caused us to be born again, that you'd almost need to have something that depicted a spiritual principle, but which was so objective that people could not dispute it. And maybe God's saying to us today, prophetically, we've really got to, we've got to learn how to submit, but trust based upon relationship with God, based upon the positions God has ordained for us to fill, based upon our role. Because through all of that, that's the way God speaks. You even think, okay, here at Christmas time, the way dreams impact, even angelic visitations, which we really haven't talked about today, but that's really not germane to the topic that God's laid before us for this one hour. How many times did dreams play a role with Joseph? Joseph had to submit to the role God gave him. Joseph had to die to self because as wonderful as it seems to us now, that had to be humiliating for him as a man in the natural. Here he's got this young, beautiful girl. She's got this story about God coming through the Holy Ghost and her being great with child through God. And here he knows he's not been married. He's not been with her. 
And here's this pregnant girl. Do you know what kind of issues a man might have with that? So a dream comes to him. Fear not to take this woman, because what's in her is of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Child within her will be. The dream only came to him because he was willing to submit to God for direction. He sought in himself, what is this? What does this mean? And God spoke to him in a dream. And God spoke to him in dreams about his purpose as someone who would protect the holy child, Jesus. That was his identity. That dream came to him. And through that, God directed him. Take Mary. Get the child out of Bethlehem. Go out of, uh, go out of Egypt now and go back to your homeland. Only because Joseph submitted himself. And that was something that was really a humility. And then, uh, we don't know this because we don't have scripture for it. But somehow, Joseph died during the time when Jesus was a very young man. We don't know how old. But Joseph and Mary had to submit to that. And I'm sure, I don't know this, that God probably spoke to Mary about this and spoke to Joseph about it before he was gone. Why? So that Jesus would know what it meant to have a responsibility for a household. Because as the eldest son, he had to have that. And to deal with issues within the home. And as opposed to John the Baptist, who just from a young age was out wandering in the wilderness. Jesus had to deal with those things. But then again, Joseph was a willing participant. The essence of prophecy is you being willing to die for what God has asked you to be. From that basis comes that relationship with God. From that basis comes God speaking. And so, with Saul, prophets, dreams, the Sha'al, and even the Urim and the Thummim were not functioning for him because his relationship with God was not functioning. And so uh, the whole idea of the Urim and the Thummim seems weird to us. The whole idea that extended from that, the casting of lots, seems weird to us. But then when you come into the New Testament and you see that prophecy has to be judged, diacrino, which means you lay it all out there side by side and you say out of all of these anointed words, What's God saying? What is this? What is that? Why couldn't one of those prophets just stood up and said, Thus says the Lord through me. Here's what you do. Do you imagine the humility in those three prophets? Each one of them says something. Now, 
the beauty of it is that if you really have the gift of interpretation, you're able to see through quality, through prophets that are really prophets. Why did God say this? Why did God say that? Why did God say this? How does this fit together? But it's, to me, an extension of the casting of lots and it's an extension of the Urim and the Thummim. And it all has to do with life and death. It all has to do with dying to self and essentially on behalf of the goal and that is relationship with God, fulfilling what you're supposed to be and submitting to the pathway. So, I pray that God will help us to be able to take these biblical truths to the level that God is requiring of us in the days ahead. And I pray that we will be bathed with humility and that we will always be under that cloak because, man, there are heated opinions about lots of things today and they can draw somebody off, even the most humble of people. It can separate people. And we've got to be humble and stay on course. Our unifying factor is spending time with God, loving one another, staying in the place that God has assigned us, doing the work that we are supposed to do, and letting that all work in humility to hear what God is saying. We're going to need this in the year to come. I mean, we're, we're having invita- divinely inspired invitations uh, around the world now. People are hungry. The Spirit of the Lord is saying things about certain areas of our country and certain regions of the world. And it's not as easy as it was even 10 years ago, even though it was arduous to travel and to do that work. Now there are so many restrictions. There are so many places that are off limits. There are so many places that are um, in unrest. Our own government doesn't seem like it knows what it's doing from one week to the next. You, you might go out and say, we're going to be here for 10 days, and then all of a sudden there's an edict from Pope Fauci, and you can't come back into the country. You know, we're going to need to have directives from the Lord. And um, to know clearly. So, I bless you. And I ask that the spirit of prophecy would be upon all of our Saints Network family, and that we would truly progress deeper into a biblical understanding and a biblical application of the principles of the prophetic, which are plainly in front of us. And I bless you today. Now, one other word, some of you have already probably tuned out. For our folks here in Dallas, this coming Sunday... The BMW Marathon is going on Sunday morning. And you can find the map of road closures. It should be available online. 
Make sure it's this year's now. But just as a rule of thumb, if you come down Abrams from the north, you shouldn't have any restriction coming um, down Abrams from the north. Mockingbird from the lake to the east, it says it's going to be closed, but sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But um, just look at the map. I apologize for um, I apologize for this interruption. It looks like you can come up Central Expressway to Mockingbird or come down Central Expressway to Mockingbird and then uh, go uh, toward the east and come down Abrams. It looks, you know, you've been through the drill. It's basically the same uh, map, but it is what it is. So uh, we'll be sending a follow-up email, but basically I'm saying the same thing. So God bless you all. Uh, Have a wonderful day, and let's move more deeply into the prophetic walk that God wants us to walk.